Welcome back to another episode. This week, I have cinematographer Brandon Hyde with me, and we talk about everything from the current climate to what it was like when his son at three months old was diagnosed with an upper respiratory virus to how he and his wife have come up together since they were 18 and 20 years old in creative businesses and how that support has led him to where he is today. This is an inspiring conversation. It is a heartfelt conversation, and I hope that you enjoy it. Be safe out there. Welcome to The Unplugged Creative, a podcast that explores the weird, wild, and wonderful things creatives go through to do what they love. I'm your host, Arielle Zadok, and this is the place to be reminded that wherever you are, you're exactly where you're meant to be. Already cracked into it a little bit, so we're, we're gonna um, <laughs> rewind a little bit for everybody that's listening. Why don't you start out by telling us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Because as you were, w- what we were just talking about before we were on air is that you work in the entertainment industry, but you're not a freelancer. So your situation and your circumstances are just a little bit different, and your experience through this is a little different, but you are a human living in this world, and you're a father, (laughs) and you're a husband, and all these things. So let's just kind of back up and and set the stage for what you got going on. Hi, everybody. I am a cinematographer, mainly features that are shot here in the area, and then, you know, also commercial work. When it comes up, yeah, I work full-time for a production company here. Our main focus is to do as many features as possible. We, uh, I think we've done like eight or nine at this point. Yeah, and when did you guys start really kicking it off? I started working full-time for them in March of 2016, and they had just done a feature right before that that I wasn't able to be on because I was on a different project. Um, and I think it was at that point they were like, oh, we need somebody to come in to kind of I – may, I, I manage our equipment, which is one of the things I'm mainly doing now, and we just in, – an in-house shooter for, for all of our other stuff. But I feel like the dream, the reason Digital Caviar exists, Todd Yontek, Michael Brown, Conrad De La Torres, uh, who are all good friends of mine. And so those guys kind of linked up to produce feature films. We finished a movie somewhere like early, early March. And then all of this, this whole COVID thing really started to, I mean, not even like a week later after we finished the movie. So we've just been kind of recuperating. You know, it takes time for us to get back on our feet after... After those intense, you know, three, you know, 18 days, six day weeks, you know, 14, 15, 16 hour days, like we always take a step back. Well, this thing is just kind of rolled in right during that step back period. And so we've not really talked about kind of what's coming up because I don't we haven't really been able to put our our minds kind of around it, you know. How long is it going to last? When is it safe? Like when is waiting too long? You know, it, there's just so many questions. Yeah, and it's hard to look to the future or plan for the future in our industry specifically because everything we do is in person. It's together. Mm -hmm. We can only do so much from computers. All of our prep, sure, that's all from afar. But when it comes to actually producing this stuff, it's all in person. So how can you possibly forecast the future when it's so unknown. I mean, as a freelancer, I can't really forecast my future. I can, I know when things are going to be busier. I know which months business really Mm -hmm. picks up and everybody's shooting at the same time and everybody's kind of scrapping to get whoever they can get and whatever gear and, and everything is stressed. And I know which 
times periods are going to be slower and things like that, but there's still really no projecting. But in, in this climate, you can't plan for anything because we just don't know. I mean, the U.S. just today, this morning, we were number three in terms of cases and four uh-huh. hours yeah. later, we're number one. Yep. So, With no no slowing down, it doesn't it doesn't look like. Oh, absolutely I mean, it's not. Just... And there are tons of people that are still not taking it seriously and doing the whole conspiracy theory thing and control yeah. thing. And, and it's just like, guys, there are humans who are dying. Can we stop talking about conspiracies for like, I don't know, a minute? And so I, living in Florida, we have been one of the states that I would say hasn't taken the initiative yeah, uh, as far, trying to be political, because I know other people <laughs> will, will disagree with me. I think we've all but watched the I, news, though, and, and we're all aware yeah, of what your governor has and has not done, for yeah, sure. And, and it's just, you know, we are a large state. We have a large number of elderly people, Why, whether they lived here forever, like my, like my grandmother, who's, I, she's 80, uh, 84, you know, who and very susceptible to something like this, or people that have already that have moved here in the state. I don't feel like has done enough, but we're also not overrun yet, mm-hmm. and so I feel like people are like, "Oh, it's totally fine because it hasn't." Look, we're still fine because we still have food and and this and that. When my biggest fear of this whole thing has been, that's fine until it takes off, mm-hmm. and then. What do you do? A little bit of backstory. My son was born in 2018, and he was about three months old, and he got what they call RSV. And it's an upper respiratory virus that he got. Uh, It's not COVID. It's something that's fairly common in children, very young children. And he was in the hospital for 11 days. For eight of those, he was intubated and put on breathing. And at one point, he was... Sorry, <laughs> a little emotional about yeah. this part. He was 100% on oxygen. They told us that it would get better, but seeing my three-month-old son, um, who's one of two children, also trying to explain to his sister what's happening, um, and also trying to comfort my wife and kind of keep it all together, um, seeing him like that, and then knowing that other families are going through that, it kind of kind of breaks my heart a little bit um, and that people aren't taking taking it serious. I mean, we've taken it pretty serious. I haven't been to the grocery store in about two weeks. My wife still has to go to work, but they have really started limiting how many people are coming into in and out of her office. So now it's gone down to only three people uh, in the office at really any given time. But I am just a little, I don't want to say upset, but I'm a little miffed at how long some of the measures have taken and how some people are just not taking it serious. That's my that's my little rant on it, I guess. <laughs> oh, that wasn't a rant at all. And and you have every reason to be concerned. You are a family that has a concern. You've been through it and what a heartbreaking experience. I remember when you guys were going through that and I can't even imagine it. I have a, a niece that has a heart condition and she had open heart surgery her mm. second day of life. So I certainly mm. know what it's like to have essentially a newborn I mean three months is still very very newborn in my eyes in the hospital and going through such trauma on their body and it's it's so hard and and you guys really you really held it together and just the way that you supported each other and the way that you shared your experience was really something admirable so thank you for also sharing that here because I, I feel like we just don't think about all of the 
individuals and the families like you who have recently been through respiratory issues, who are maybe Mm -hmm. going through a surgery right now, who just had a baby right now, who Mm -hmm. are walking around who don't know that they have compromised immune systems. We're just not thinking about that because we can't see that in front of us. And it's not something that we experience in our everyday life, but I'm sure that's something that you're aware of in your everyday life because you've lived through it. Well, we lived through it within, so I, I live in a small town outside of Tampa. Within a 10-minute drive, my mother and father-in-law live here, and my sister-in-law and her husband and, and their one daughter live here. My mother-in-law, she has some underlying health problems, and my sister is like eight and a half, nine months pregnant. Like, wow. baby could come any day, but uh. mainly it's you know, four or five weeks out. And so like for them, they're getting all this, you know, this is their second child. So they kind of, they understand the process, but now they're getting, you know, there's only one person in, in the ER room and they've had to have been quarantined with you. I have another friend who they're newly pregnant, but the wife has now been diagnosed as more high risk, but the husband hasn't been able to go <laughs> on any of the doctor's appointments because of this whole thing and has to listen by phone to what the doctor is saying about the pregnancy. I think that's one of the things that people who are so flippant about it are not thinking about. It's not just the hospitals and COVID cases and ventilators. It's normal life too. Things are still happening. Mm -hmm. People are still getting sick. Surgeries still are getting planned and people still need to go to the emergency room. Babies are being born. All of these things still Mm -hmm. exist on top of what's going on. So when people are just so flippant about it and they think it's not a big deal, it's not, it's like it is. How can we not well, treat this as a big deal when it is? It's, there's only so many resources and only so many humans who can take care of us. So testing took so long that some of the deaths may have happened that could be now would be attributed to COVID. But because they were so early on, we didn't really understand what was happening. They're listed more under pneumonia or the flu. Mm, yeah. Uh, and then they're saying, but also, okay, so the num- the death rate might actually be lower because there were also other people that got that did get sick that recovered and they just never knew they even had it. Oh so, yeah, there's a lot of those, I think. But again, my biggest thing is it's not that if you get it, it's a death nail. It's if you get it and every person you've come in mm-hmm. contact gets it, now you're overloading the hospitals. Now that death rate starts to climb because not everybody is able to get a ventilator or a bed. Exactly. And then the nurses and the doctors who are working their tails off right now are getting even more and more and more strung out. So they're making mistakes because a tired, exhausted person can make mistakes. And that is where, for me, the scariest part is, is the overrun hospitals because people didn't take measures 14, you know, what is it supposed to be two to 10 days that, but it's like 14 days after you have it is when it's supposed to be kind of the worst. You're walking around for two weeks, not, not knowing. knowing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Not knowing. And so when we started thinking about it, it was okay. We don't know if we have it. My daughter's not going to school. My son, there was back and forth whether he was going to his daycare. And eventually I just said, I just don't feel comfortable with it. It's too, it's too much exposure for our family of four. So we, and it's just that again, going through that experience I went with, I don't, I just don't want to do that again. And we were allowed. So that was another part. So when my son was sick, we were allowed, I think it was up to three people 
in the room. Either way, we were allowed to be there. And so I would take the day shift. My wife would take the night shift. And then we would have people coming in and checking in on us and, you know, bringing us coffees and, and whatnot, seeing how we were doing. But in these cases, these people are not allowed to see their families. Mm-hmm. And that, oh, again, choking up a little bit, that breaks my heart, not only for the people that are are have been infected and are, and are because that's oh my god like how freaking scary but then also for the family members being told no you can't see them i don't know if they'll ever see them again oh a lot of people haven't that's exactly what ha- uh, no. has happened with hundreds probably thousands of people at this point and that is you're right that's one of the most heartbreaking things and yeah. that's the reality you guys had so much support you had so much community around you i mm-hmm. watched it because again you guys were very open about sharing your experience i mean you know her for the people that don't my wife is a powerhouse of a personality she's just she's one of the most wonderful people I've I've ever met she's brilliant and she just has a way of relaying information stories or or that type of stuff to people that I just a lot of times I'm just like I don't know how this person (laughs) said yes (laughs) said yes to me like I (laughs) yeah anyway again tangent of just how wonderful my wife is, but uh, also is is part of how I can do, kind of do what I do. She is the real deal and everything she shares is very honest and very open and it's not exploitive. It's just this is my life and this is what I'm doing and it's not a big yeah. deal. That's that's very much the way that she shares and that is the essence of authenticity, I think, is just to be like, whatever, man, this is what it is. Take it or leave it. I don't really and care. She's, she does personal life coaching and a lot of what she talks to people about is something she's had to deal with, something that she's, um, you know, saw in her life. Okay, well, I need to change this about myself. How do I do that? And really jumping into it, she's always reading and or listening to or watching so, like self-help stuff which is so far not my I do stories if I'm watching TV, <laughs> if I'm watching TV I'm watching either a, a series or movies uh, you know it's just we have such different interests but I love watching her grow and watching her take the steps she's like you know I'm gonna do this okay well six months later, it's cool to watch her do it and to have that self-drive. It drives me. It's why I'm in the it's why I'm in the industry to begin with. Yeah, and you two have been together for a very long time and you have a very supportive marriage both ways, I would say. She's taken risks for you and you've taken risks for her. So coming up through your creative journey, I would love for you to talk about that a little bit and how you came up as a creative and because we're talking about her and your relationship and I think it'd mm-hmm. be great if you were willing to talk about how you have both supported each other in each of your creative endeavors through the years. So I grew up in Tennessee. My parents were pretty open, very uh, open-minded to most things. When I was about 14 or 15, I started taking an interest in the arts. So my first was I wanted to play bass, and then I got involved in photography a little bit. I was on competitive acting for for high schools and I decided at 20 or 19 that I was going to move to Florida live with my grandparents and then my granddad died a week before I was planning on moving down so I came we buried him on I want to say the 23rd of December and I moved down January 8th Wow, what a gift. Yeah, so and that was just the plan. They, My grandparents owned a trucking company that my uncle and my aunt and my other uncle worked at. 
And so I got a job there doing in the accounting department. And during that time, I met this beautiful 18-year-old girl, and I was 20. And I mean, I knew within two weeks that I was going to marry this girl. Um, and she admits the time the timeline's the exact same. Yeah, um, I've heard it from both of you separately, and it is. <laughs> yeah, yep. Um, and so six months later, we were engaged, and then we were engaged for about a year, almost a year and a half, and then we were married. We were married at 20 and 22, and I did not even know that I wanted to be in the film industry yet. Um, I was actually in school for music and for creative arts. My plan was to be a creative arts worship pastor working for a church. And then I made a short film with friends that just needed help. And I was like, oh my God, this encompasses all of the music and the photography and the acting that I have done since my teens and continued to do. And throughout all of this is my wife, because I just I wasn't very self-confident and I still struggle with it. I think that's probably just part of the artist journey in general. But for me, it was her saying, you can do this. You have the talent. I see that, you know, you have the passion for it. Go and do it. And she really started pushing me towards filmmaking. And like everybody, I thought I wanted to be a director even though I don't communicate quite. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I think communication is one of my, actually, is one of my huge weaknesses. I'm a very introverted, reserved person. I mean, I literally remember the moment sitting at the table, reading a, what a director of photography or cinematographer does, and I was like, that's what I want to do. And, I mean, ever since then, pushed me to follow the dream. I lived in L.A. for about five months without her uh, while I was doing like internship and finishing up school. And then when I came back, I kind of didn't really fully know what to do. I don't even remember whose idea it was, but I started doing weddings. And obviously it took a little bit, but we were booked every weekend, sometimes, sometimes double booked. I remember at least one weekend of being triple booked. Friday in Tampa, <laughs> Saturday and in Tampa, and then Sunday in Jacksonville. Wow. Um, oh, and Jacksonville's was, not was, close. <laughs> Not close, about three and a half hours. And Yikes. after working two 12-hour days driving up, at one point, uh, it was just us. It was her doing kind of the scheduling and the meeting people. Again, very communicative personality, somebody that can make you feel at ease. Uh, that's what she does. And then I basically doing the grunt work of shooting it and then and then spending my time in front of a computer editing um was she doing that, photography as well were you guys because she yes. i know that she came up as a photographer so you were doing video and she was doing photo yep so that's pretty much how we were able to support ourselves mainly it was video at that time and then we took another risk so we've taken a couple of risks in our lives one was our first year of marriage when i decided that i wanted to do this as a job as a student uh, I had a decently paying job at the trucking company that my family owned, so I had job security, but after some time there, I just knew it wasn't my thing. I, I mean, I loved the people that worked there, but I just told my wife I couldn't, I couldn't do it. So we went from two incomes down to one and then started doing, you know, then started, I did the school thing and did all that. And while she was working, doing some photography and then also being an account executive for a local magazine. 
then she got to the point where she couldn't do it anymore. I remember coming home or I was at home. She was in the bathtub and then she was just crying like, I can't do this anymore. It's not fulfilling. Um, and that's something we've always done is just follow kind of what makes more sense. Like what is what makes you happy, uh, you know, within reason. But I was making money. And so we just decided, OK, you'll go full time kind of photography. I will. You know, we really have to build this business to support us. And then I got burnt out. I couldn't shoot another wedding. I had gotten to the point where they were so repetitive uh, that I didn't feel like I was giving the client, you know, what they had kind of signed up for. Because doing over, I mean, one year, I think we did 55 weddings in a full year. Um, wow. And and, the, and I was editing them. So for editors out there, I know your pain. I know how long it takes. And I just, I literally couldn't do it. And so in 2014... I pretty much said, um, I can't. And she was mostly supportive. <laughs> um, and so what I started doing was volunteering during the week to work for different production companies because I knew, I knew what I, and that was part of it is I knew I didn't want to do weddings forever. I wanted to, to do, be doing movies. So I started pretty much giving my services out for free or super low uh, until I built up enough contacts for, I pretty much did that for a full year while still kind of shooting the weddings and editing. And pretty much in 2014, I was full-time like camera assistant and, uh, and gripping. Uh, I still wasn't making a whole lot of money, but I had made quite a few inroads with uh, production companies in Tampa and Orlando. I mean, I was going as far as Tallahassee and, and Miami, uh, which are good six-hour drives from here, uh, if the pay was good enough just to keep us kind of <laughs> kind of going. Um, yeah, and just to get the different and, experience as well, especially yeah, in Miami because there are different levels of jobs there for sure. Different, you know, yeah, and some of the bigger stuff I've, I had been on was, was all in Miami and seeing how some of that worked and, you know, making good, good contacts down there as well. And it was one of the hardest periods of, of my career to this point, but it was also like probably the most uh, growth that I had just in terms of I started at zero and saw for a full, you know, year and a half, almost two, two full years of seeing different things, seeing things that I liked that people did, seeing things that I didn't like that how people were doing it and kind of, you know, Taking in all that information, meeting meeting people. I mean, I, I have I'm still working with people that I met during that time period that are now super good friends. My my gaffer Andrew Otoski, absolutely, Andrew. I love that guy, and he's he's, so he's great. My, and he's my gaffer. And I I mean I we met in like 20 I want to say 2014, and it just kind of you know we didn't work we didn't actually get to work together a whole lot. Um, but when I started doing a lot more DP work. Um, and I could afford him. <laughs> that's who. <laughs> that's who I was calling in. And and now, I mean, we've done. So I've shot eight features, and Andrew has done. I want to say five, maybe six of them. Nice. Uh, yeah. Well, that's and what I've, it is. You I, get your people, right? Like you get your yeah. team. You get your people. Hopefully, you know, you have a couple of those really good people because people are also busy. But that's you know, you get your crew, you get your team, and then you guys just 
hopefully can go, 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 especially in this the type of scenario that you found yourself in now where you are staffed at a company that is a turnkey doing film. So yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's my, great. my, my first call. So this is how it happens. Mike Brown, who is our project manager, um, and usually acts as UPM will call and say, okay, we have, we have, we are 100% on this project. Here's the dates that kind of we're looking at. I will hang up the phone and I will call Andrew. Andrew, are you available during this time? Oh, you're not? Okay, figure it out to be available. <laughs> Make yourself time. available. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, Andrew laughs at me. But, uh, you know, and there's just, there's Scott Sullivan, who I use mm-hmm. as a camera operator a ton. Uh, he and I have gotten very close over the last couple of years. Uh, Josh Long, who was my key grip, and now he's doing more office managing. There's just a plethora of people. Uh, Brandon Agan is one of the people during that that growth period who you've had on your show that I that I started with. I mean, I shot a short film for him for I think he gave me like 800 bucks, and we shot for like 13 days. Wow. So I made. <laughs> but I was like, hey, oh my God. making money. I mean, we shot. It was. Uh, a short film I shot on a DSLR, but uh, you know, and what's funny is it's been projects like that where I just put my whole heart into that people started recognizing like, oh, okay, this guy might actually know a little, like have a little bit of talent. And so just kind of moving up there and through all of this, my wife has been my biggest supporter. She doesn't complain. Uh, she's, <laughs> she's still she human. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a little hard for her um, when I'm gone. Yeah. I mean, if if you guys are in the film industry, you, I mean, you know, it's 16 hour days, and when you get home, you're not, you're, you're like, I've got only eight hours. I probably should be up in four to do the prep work, looking at what we need for the next day, make sure everything is is good to go. And she just, she kind of just rolls with it I think part of it is we've been married before I yeah. took down I started down this journey I think that's part of it I think part of it is also her just she's an Enneagram type seven I don't know if you people if how many people know what that is but everything is just incredibly optimistic for her and she just views everything as as a new challenge so my daughter was born in 2014 all right so I want to talk about a low point yeah let's <laughs> in, do it. My, in, our, in our lives my daughter was on her way. She was kind of planned. We didn't think that the first try would, <laughs> um, we, you know, most people, it takes a little bit, yeah. not us. And we were living in a 450 square foot studio, just us also running a company out of it. Oh yeah. And uh, you guys were living with all your gear too, right? You had like a bunch of camera all, gear. and On the second floor with a 1998 Toyota 4Runner, and I forget what car she had, and we had to make the very hard decision. We were we were way upside down, because we bought, when was the bubble crashed in like, what, 07? Yeah, 7, 8. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We bought pretty much like two months before the bubble burst. We had purchased the condo, 450 square foot for 70,000, 70, and at one point, it was worth about 12. Wow. <gasps> We just were like, what What do we do? Um, wow. So for, we had to make the very hard decision. Uh, we didn't declare bankruptcy, but we pretty much just quit paying and let the bank have it. It just financially, it was the hardest decision that we've had to make. But what I, at that point, we we just didn't have um, 
we, we just didn't have any choices. Uh, and my daughter was on the way and we bless their souls. My in-laws let us move in and my daughter was born while we were still living with my in-laws. We had lived there for about a, for, I think it was like two months before. And of course, I, I mean, now looking back, like, I don't know how we did it. I don't know how they did it. Uh, <laughs> but my mom called and she had been down. She had been visiting with one of her friends. My mom said, why are you living with your in-laws? And I was like, mom. <laughs> What's wrong with you, son? <laughs> freaking, we're freaking broke. Twenty. So 2013 was a very good year for me. 2014 was not so great. 2015 was terrible mm. uh, in terms of finances. So my mom goes, well, I might have a house for you. And I was like, mom, I can't. <laughs> I can't afford that. Like, cool things, That's but nice. I can't. Yeah, great. Um, she said, no, if, and this is a lady I've known my entire life. It's one of my mom's best friends. She said, she will let you live there for free if you kind of do the upkeep in the yard and all that. So then my brain went to like, oh my gosh, how bad is this place? Yeah, of course. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, what am I? And I said, well, before I say anything to even Sophia, like, what's the address? I'm going to go check it out. Not kidding. It was 45 seconds from my in-laws and I pulled up and it's a 1950s block house. Very well taken care of. I mean, it was outdated, but it was well taken care of. The yard was well taken care of. And I was like, mom, is this the right address? Because this, <laughs> this is actually this a nice house. <laughs> yeah, this, this is actually uh, not too bad. She said, yeah, that's, that's it. And so when my daughter was two weeks old, we got a bunch of friends to, together and they came out and they helped us move. And they said all my wife, she was still on bed rest and my daughter was two weeks old and everybody pitched in and helped us move in. And so that period, love my daughter to death, but have, when she was born, I didn't know what I was going to do. And to see the outpouring of love and support that we got, not only for my career, but just personally, it's just, it's just, I've been so blessed and I've just been... I I think I've been given opportunities that a lot of people may not get in their life. And I'm so incredibly thankful and grateful that it's kind of led me to where I'm at, you know, to where I'm at now. Uh, I still don't make a ton of money, but I'm very satisfied in my job. Right now, in all midst of all this craziness, I have both of my kids at home, which is in itself its own kind of crazy thing. My daughter's six now and my son is uh, like 19 months. But how many other parents get to do that like I'm not really missing work like I'm still able to do stuff on the computer and go when I need to 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 check on the equipment make sure everything's good but for the most part because I finished a movie and that we shot in February I'm pretty much home which is where I would be in the first place yeah uh, and I'm in again, a similar experience too because I just finished a job in February so I would I mean I would hopefully have been working on other things but I, mm -hmm. I definitely feel that sense of gratitude for oh thank god I just had this yeah yeah it's, been, it's just kind of the timing of just my life in general I grew up in a very loving home I met my wife when I was super young I just can't like sometimes I'm like man is this like is this real life is this really yeah. like is this when's it when's it coming like when's <laughs> You know, but but also part of my wife being super positive is instilled in me the positivity of like just enjoying it and just taking you know trying not to take things for granted. When I get pissy and moany, she's <laughs> she's the put one in that, your place. <laughs> yep. 
But it's, um, I mean, it's not like you guys haven't had your set of struggles. You had a home that was taken away from you. You had a child that was having respiratory issues at three months old in the hospital. I mean, it's not like you guys have not gone without your hardship. So when you say, when's it going to come? I think it has come. I think that it's come and gone in different points of your life. But because of the way that both of you have approached life and because of the way that you have your community, your family, your friends supporting you, that's why it, it doesn't feel as grave as it could for somebody who didn't have that type of a mindset. And it is your mm -hmm. mindset. I mean, if you guys had negative mindsets or even one of you was like a super negative person, you would have been approaching all of these things differently. And I don't know that you would have had the support. Even if your family loves you, I don't know that things would have showed up for you in the same way that they have had your attitudes been different about it all. Yeah, yeah, I totally, I totally think you're you're onto something there because we, you know, we have just tried to be positive about what what we can, even at the the darkest moments. We've at least had each other. And again, my wife is much more positive as a personality than I am. <laughs> uh, but it has rubbed off. I, I have seen a difference in myself over the last, past few years, and to not allowing negativity because it, it's cliche but it's it is what it is mm -hmm. yeah. only you can make it better you know it, it's taking you know I've done jobs I didn't want to do I've reached out and I've done stuff that I don't you know that I haven't particularly enjoyed not just filming but you know different things through my life and doing it because that was the thing that needed to be done to make it better yeah. at that time and so just going in with that you know one of the one of the things that I said earlier was we've always done what we thought was right. Now, it hasn't been what we've always thought was right financially or what we have thought was right in terms of like social ranking or, or whatever. But we have always listened to each other and to what our our inner voices have said and have tried to follow it. And I th yeah, I think all of that swirls together to make things seem good. I mean, I'm I'm 35. I shot X amount of features, lots of commercials. I'm generally home, which is where I want to be <laughs> anyways. Um, I'm a homebody. Uh, I have a beautiful wife. I have two kids. I have a house that I've worked a lot on, parents that have helped me, and just trying to be grateful. And I think that's what has helped us through kind of this time, there's still a little uncertainty within finance. If we, you know, if Digital Caviar doesn't, if these projects kind of fall through, then my job kind of gets a little bit more iffy. Uh, my wife's full-time job right now, she's uh, she's community, um, she's going to kill me. I don't know what her actual title is, <laughs> community somethings manager for the Chamber of Commerce in our town. And they are actually considered essential people. She explained it to me. I don't understand. I trust her. Keeping her employed, <laughs> so that's good. Keeping her employed, but you know, the their her bosses have to make kind of some some tough choices and kind of cutting some hours and whatnot. For her, she she does life coaching on the side, but she's been wanting it to become her full time thing. Well now is her opportunity to work on that. I'm home with the kids. She goes into work at nine. She, for the last couple of nights, hasn't been home until she's supposed to get off at four, but she actually goes and parks somewhere and works on the life coaching stuff until about six and then comes home and then takes the kids. And I basically go sit on the couch. I'm like, I'm done. <laughs> uh, we could take this time and just 
you know, kind of be mopey about it and kind of going through the motions, but we're trying to make something out of it. We're trying to see the positive in it. And again, that's a lot of her, but I see the big picture that she sees as well. And I think that's why we make such a great team. Yeah, there's there's a lot of value in not ignoring what's going on and not being empathetic for it because, again, people are dying. The medical staff right now is just completely overwhelmed emotionally, physically, everything. So it's easy to get lost in all of this. It's easy to look at the news and just feel scared or defeated or anxious all of these things, those are all very easy things to feel. They're right there for us. We don't have to do anything to access that. However, if you're healthy and you're able to be home, whether that is because you can work from home or because your job went away, which is not a good thing. I don't know when I'm going to work again, but whatever it is, we have the choice right now to, as healthy people, be grateful for that, do our part to keep ourselves and our community healthy by staying the fuck away from other humans (laughs) and use the time to lift up the vibration, lift up the energy, lift up ourselves, lift up the other people that know us because that is contagious as well. Not to, I probably shouldn't use the word contagious right now, but <laughs> you know, but it's true. I mean, the, mm-hmm. the positive energy will rub off on other people and you can allow yourself to be sad and angry and confused and anxious and all those things for a certain period of time. But at some point, we all have to pick ourselves up out of that. And what's going to help us do that? The same thing that's helped you throughout your entire career and your entire life that we've had this conversation. It's community. It's your friends. It's your family. It's looking at the people around you who are taking a different perspective and who are using this time to the best of their ability because what else are we going to do this is going to last a long time we are I fully believe we're just at the beginning of this we're going to be indoors and away from other people I think for a long period of time Mm -hmm. probably a couple of months so how do we use that time to have a positive impact not only by staying out of the way and staying home and healthy but how do we use this time to better ourselves as humans, to better our communities, to be there for each other, to just lift each other up? Like we have an opportunity here to relax a little bit. We have an opportunity to do the things that we've wanted to do. There are millions of people out there that wish they could start drawing or wish they could start dancing or wish they could do this Mm -hmm. or wish they could do that. And this is an opportunity to use that time to do the thing you've always wanted to do instead of being depressed that you can't leave and defeated that this thing is going on around us and there's really not much we can do. We can take this time and use it as an opportunity to do things differently, you know, just give it back to ourselves in a way. I don't want to say it's a gift, but in a way, if you're healthy and you can stay home and you can survive this, then see it as a gift because it is. in a yes. way. It's it, not, but it is. It's in a, so in hard. A weird, <laughs> way, in a weird way it is because I want to be home sitting on the couch watching movies. Like that's <laughs> what I want, but I'm taking this time to really invest into my kids. It's funny. I haven't written in, gosh, probably six years at this point because I've been so focused on being a DP. But one of my early loves is, is writing. And so I'm I have stories that are kind of in my head are kind of percolating and I can see myself 
pretty I'm getting pretty close to sitting down and doing an outline. Uh, so I haven't done the physical step yet, but even thinking about it is actually a pretty big step for me. And so just taking the time to slow down to take a breath. Um, you know, sometimes we find life monotonous and it is anything but at this moment, but it's in a weird way being allowing people to just pause, take a breath, look around, assess assess your life, assess the things that you're doing around you, assess the things that you want to be doing that you're not because you're too tired or you don't have enough time. I personally think for the, for the healthy people, this is good just to be able to take a step back. I live life at a very slow pace, but I know many, many, many people that don't. And it's, you know, it's kind of a hair on fire every minute of the day. And I think for those type of people, this is very hard. Yeah, they're, they're <laughs> for sure I, struggling the most. But I feel like that it's so grew up Tennessee farm, slow lifestyle. I feel like that's how we're not necessarily on the farm, but I feel like that's the pace of life that we're supposed to live at. Mm-hmm. And the pace of the American life today is a little insane. Yeah, it's, it's too much. I know one of the things that I've been thinking about a lot is that I hope on the other side of this, for a multitude of reasons, that we as Americans put more value on personal lives, on human lives, on family lives, that there are companies out there that can see working from home will work for some people and may even work better for some people, and mm-hmm. that we can just reassess our values a little bit and it doesn't seem like we can right now because the government is literally having conversations (laughs) between do we save the economy or do we save human lives which is absolutely insane and we don't even need to get into that but that's you know I, I do deeply deeply hope that some of the people who were formally thinking economy over lives are maybe now changing that perspective I hope I mean yeah that's all we can do so let me ask you, what are you doing during this time period to take a breath? Because my life is pretty much right now, I wake up, I make breakfast, my wife leaves, I take care of kids. During that time, I'm trying to do emails or, you know, I might have to take them to, to my storage facility. We come home, my wife gets off at four, I cook from 4.30 to five, we eat, they get in the bathtub, they go to bed, and then I get to sit down for like two hours. So your life looks very different, very different. than my life. <laughs> so what well, I have I, no I'm structure. Just, I'm <laughs> yeah, I'm genuinely curious for for other people that might have more of your lifestyle. You know, kind of what are you doing? Well, every day is a little bit different. I don't have a schedule. I go to sleep when I want to, and I wake up when I naturally wake up, which has been very nice. I found in the first week, because again, I was right after a job. So I was just like tired. Mm-hmm. And that first week or week and a half of, because of, I've been in quarantine now for a solid two weeks and a couple days. So the yep. first week of it, I uh, was really chill. I caught up on a lot of reading. I pole dance and I have a pole in my house. So a lot of dancing. So just kind of taking care of my mind and my body and just being super cruisy and, and just kind of hanging out. I really haven't watched much TV, although this past Sunday, I binged on Tiger King the whole day. That's oh, all everybody, I did. Everybody, 
I so what's funny is that was, I was, it was shot in Tampa. I have a lot of friends that worked on it uh, that didn't even know that they worked on it because they it didn't have a title. Yeah, they didn't tell them anything. So uh, yeah, shout out to my to my buds that actually got to work <laughs> work on that, even though they didn't know they were working on it. Yeah, I probably know. I should read the credits. Actually, I probably know some of those guys too. But yeah, I mean, for the most part, I just the first week I was like just like super chill, not really thinking, planning anything like that. Caught up with some people on Skype, things like that, and then the second week I just got this surge of creativity I guess I decided to bring this back to life I mean I decided to work specifically with entertainers so people that work in like film and theater because we are among the people whose industries are completely shut down so I I just thought that would be interesting conversations which they have been but yeah I've just gotten involved in different projects there's a film that a, a friend of mine and I are doing a documentary that is about people's COVID stories and situations and mm-hmm. just trying to reach out to people around the world and collect those stories now in a month from now when it's over and just kind of document because it is an unprecedented time in history and everyone's having a different experience. So I think I think I'm just kind of diving into the experience is kind of what it's feeling like this week anyway. And next yeah, week could look really different. I don't know. It's I'm just kind of going with the flow and allowing creativity to take over, I guess. I don't know. I'm just kind of living and allowing what wants to come out to come out. I think that's really what it is for me is just kind of allowing things that want to show up to show up, just giving space. Yeah, yeah. I So for those of you that are out of work, uh, my heart really goes out to you guys. Like, I remember not even by choice being out of work uh, when I was doing more of the freelance stuff, just not being able to find find the work. And it's a very tough time. But I hope that through this, we will we'll have a dry period of, of entertainment. I, I feel like kind of like same as right after the writer's strike. Mm-hmm. There was about a year of just not good stuff. And then came this surge. Personally, I think we're in the golden age of TV. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of that is born out of that time period where people had time and they became creative. We have there's some amazing shows out there. I feel like the like movies they took a different turn, and I feel like this could be the second part of that where people, because they do have time on their hands, are able to take a breath and come up with you know, the next great show, my favorite show on TV right now is Peaky Blinders. And the show stands out because there's nothing else like it. Well, what's the next thing that's going to be that nothing else is like? And I feel like this time period is when that is starting to kind of boil up inside. And then it takes time. I mean, it takes time to put it on paper. It takes time to get it in front of the right people. It takes time to actually shoot it. It takes time. So it, you know, it's going to be probably a year and a half, but I really look forward to when we as a people can come together, see something new that was born out of this and go, holy crap, that's awesome. Yeah, I think we're going to see a lot of that. I know people are just creating right now a lot. A lot of people mm -hmm. who don't have the option for work are just creating. And there's so much beauty that comes from that alone. And to your point, yeah, I think that we are going to see the product of this in a year and a half from now when those things are starting to get produced in live action and cartoons and whatever. When those things start to get produced, we're going to see a a surge. And I wonder what those stories are going to look like. I wonder what content we're going to have after having such a traumatic experience collectively as humanity we've never all been on the same page the whole world has never fought 
against the same thing together ever. Not not in this way because you know, sure, black plague, but like you didn't have the internet, you yeah, weren't texting each other about it. Was, yeah, yeah. So you know, we've never we've never been on the same page as humanity before. So I'm very curious to see what type of stories are going to come out of that. I love the phrase "together alone" or "alone alone together." Alone That's together. Yeah. yeah. Yes, that is where we're at, but we're also in such a unique time in history. You're you're in LA, I'm outside of Tampa, and here we are talking. We just had, you know, an hour and whatever conversation about this thing that we're experiencing, t- experiencing it pretty totally different, but we can talk about it and we can understand where where the other person's at, what their mindset is. Um I had a friend of mine call me who I haven't talked to and probably about a year. He just called me out of the blue, like, Hey man, how's it going? Just want to make sure you're good. At night, I've been able to, <laughs> again, I like to sit on my couch. I've been playing uh, some video games with my brother-in-law and I feel like we've gotten closer just because of that. You know, it's such a silly thing, but at the same time, like I'm able to kind of spend time with him, even though it's virtually. It's all connection though. It's all, you know, it's, it's the connection that is bringing us closer and it's helping us share in this experience because as you said, we're all experiencing it in different ways, but we are all experiencing it together. And we -hmm. do have the technology to stay connected and we are seeing a lot more connection more, more so than we do in our normal lives. People are connecting in different ways and more intimately. And it's really important right now, especially when people are, are losing loved ones and finding out this one is sick or that one has it. And you know, it's, it's this type of connection. That's really, really important connection and creation, man. That's what I'm about right now. Yep. So one of the hardest things about what we're experiencing now is trying to explain it to my six year old. Oh yeah. Uh, She had spring break and now the week that Florida said schools are closed. And so she's been out of school now for almost two full weeks. So she asked me like two days before she went on spring break, dad, what's the coronavirus? And that was the time everything was kind of coming to a head. And I said, well, you remember when your brother was sick? And and so that was the, ter- <laughs> the worst way to start it off. Yeah. Because then she thought that that would be everybody. And I said, well, it's not going to be everybody. But like, so as I said, my grandmother's still alive and she loves my grandmother. She calls her Gigi. And I had told her that we would go see Gigi that weekend. And I said, well, we're probably not going to be able to go see Gigi because we don't want to get her sick. And so... Now we are two weeks later, and all my daughter wants to do is go back to school because she misses her friends. So we got her a messenger app on a phone. We control everything so parents don't freak out. We know exactly (laughs) who she's talking to and who's messaging her. And we we approve the contacts that she's talking to and whatnot. But... She's, it's so funny. She will video one of her friends and they'll talk, but I have A, no idea what they're talking about. My daughter will walk away from the phone for five minutes and I'll hear this little voice from the phone talking. <laughs> and then my daughter will come back and then they'll have a five minute conversation. And then the friend will leave for 10 minutes. And come, and I'm just like, okay, but at least she's getting that connection. Yeah. To, she was very upset a couple of nights ago. About the whole, you know, just she can't see her yaya, who's my my wife's mom, and they they live forty five seconds down the down the road. We see them three four times a week usually. She sleeps over there. She's old enough to kind of understand why she can't go, but at the same time, she's six. It's it's hard. So hard to comprehend. That. Uh, Adults are having a hard time understanding. Forget about yeah. kids. 
yeah, like I am so my heart breaks every time. She's like, hey, daddy, can I can I go see Pop Pop? Can I go see Yaya? Can I go see Gigi? I'm like, well, baby, we're we're still kind of we're not we don't really leave the house. Mm-hmm. Um, but then she doesn't understand why mom has to leave the house. My kids like me. My kids love their mom. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm I'm if I'm in the house, they're like kind of keeping an eye on me where I'm at. They'll you know, I'm basically a food machine for them. When mom comes home, it is all about mom. I don't even really exist in this world. And so she doesn't understand why, like, I'm kind of staying home and why we call him, his, his real name is Liam, but we call him Bubby. Why Bubby's home and why she has to stay home, but why mommy has to leave. Trying to explain to her all of these different things while trying to figure it out for myself has been, uh, it's, I would say that's been the hardest part. A couple, probably about a week ago, I had a really bad night myself. We're trying to envision if I got this terrible thing, what advice would I leave to my six-year-old and my 19-month-old? Whoa, and it was not, yeah, it was not a good, it was not a good, uh, good moment. But I think it's something that everybody's kind of thinking about. You know, we're trying to be as safe as we can, but this thing is—it's um—it's—it's it's a little scary. And again, I—I I think part of my fear for everybody stems from the virus that my son got. And the the worst thing about that, what he had, again, RSV, uh, upper respiratory virus, the people who gave it to him, which would probably have been us, didn't even know it. Uh-huh. Um, he was just so young. They said that really, adults can can get it, but for children two and under, it will hit them very hard, and for infants, it will hit them very hard. Um, and this this virus, COVID, seems to be the same way, except for instead of younger younger people, it seems to be for the most part the elderly. But I mean, we've been reading stories of yeah, that's 20, changed. Uh, yeah, twenty one year old soccer coach mm-hmm. died. A, a guy in in California, I think he was thirty four. Thirty yeah, thirty four. A guy over yeah. in uh, Pasadena. I have a friend in New York that his friend just passed away. He was in his thirties. He was healthy, and it's. I mean, mm. not not trying to scare anybody by any means, but we can't go around thinking it's just this. Yeah community because it's everybody has to worry and to your point yeah it's about how it gets passed around and it's that it's not just the older people so we just all have to be respectful of of what this thing really is yeah i mean you know in florida we get hurricanes which are scary uh i was here uh, when irma came through and we left Mm -hmm. um but uh, we could leave, like we could go. We went to my parents who still live in Tennessee uh, and we kind of had like a week long vacation and then we came back. I had to clean up the yard a little bit. Like that was, <laughs> yeah. that was, that was pretty wild. Of, I fled to Tennessee also yeah. in the middle of the night. We left at like three o'clock in the morning or something. So my wife, so she texted me about, she was like, I think we need to leave. And I started boarding up the house and we were on the road by like seven o'clock that night. And we drove to Atlanta and then the next morning we finished up. My parents live outside of Knoxville. That's that's the closest in my life that I can kind of come to anything like this. But it's it's still not there. So one of the things my daughter did ask me was what I what when this happens, what do people do? I didn't have like I didn't there was no answer. Like this is the only thing that we've known that was like this happened, you know, before technology and modern and really modern medicine yeah. with the plague. And I personally don't think this is as bad as as bad as the plague, but 
the only thing we have uh, to really compare it to. Yeah, it's the only, you know, the only thing historically. There's been other pandemics and other outbreaks. Sure. So I wasn't about to tell her, <laughs> you know, about let's, about let's half that. of the world's population, you know, being being wiped out. So it was kind of hard for her. So she's six, first time experiencing anything like this, and she doesn't understand why her 35 year old dad doesn't know really what's happening with this as as well like she wants to know when she go back to school that's her biggest thing and schools are supposed to open april 15th probably not probably not <laughs> but who knows I, who knows but, but i don't know, think so so how do i tell her hmm. who's little girl who's one thing in the whole world is to go back to school that you're probably not going back till august mm-hmm. um so Until that's the been, next school year really yeah yeah that so was, that's that been be a little tough as a dad um, and so I haven't really told her that schools probably won't open because hope is such a big part of what keeps people going. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been such a big part of what's kept me going is the hope. My daughter's hope right now is to go to school. Got to keep that to alive. Take, and she will. I mean, she's going to go back. It's just a matter of, of when. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's tough. It's, you know, for a kid, if you were to say, hey, we're going to go to Disney World, but we're not going to go for five months or however long, four months. Oh, that's eternity. That's that would, it's eternity. Yeah. <laughs> Forever. Forget so, that. So that's been, if you would have been like, Brandon, there's going to be a pandemic that's going to come through and, you know, and you have to be quarantined for two months or however long, what would you do? I would have told you everything that I would have done that I pretty much have done to this point. We've not hoarded, but I have gotten enough food supplies to last us a couple of weeks. We're locked down. We bought an inflatable pool for the kids. Like, you know, we've done those. But I did not anticipate the parenting aspect, the emotional well-being of somebody outside of myself to talk through during this time. And I think that's been actually probably the hardest part, keeping her happy and, and you know, happy and healthy. Those are the things you want for your kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and knowing that at any moment both of those <laughs> could be put in jeopardy so trying to be positive and you know and be silly and i mean you know me imagining me trying to be silly and, <laughs> it's, uh, it's it wears me out <laughs> i believe in you <laughs> but in day, like i am i'm just i'm toast yeah. but it's just it's kind of interesting just to see it from that perspective, from a from a little girl's perspective. Of I, I'm I know she's watching me. I know she's seeing the things that I'm trying to do to shield her from from this thing, both socially and and health wise. Yeah. Um, Our kids yeah. are always watching. Not that I have them, but I know them. Yeah, yeah, you know them. Like they're you could and you can remember being a kid and and watching your parents and and seeing how they lived life and. You know, trying to imagine what my parents would have done during this time. Our lives probably wouldn't have looked very different. We grew most of our own vegetables. We had our own our own meats. So it probably wouldn't have looked very different. But this has been a little bit of disruption for for my family. And I know it's been a huge disruption for other families. Um, and my heart goes out to them. Well, Brandon, thank you so much. This was a, a great conversation. I appreciate your honesty. I appreciate sharing and especially sharing your outlook on everything because I think that we need that balance between the tough stuff that you've been through, which has been a lot, and the positive mindset because that's really one of the things that is going to get us all through this stuff. So thank you so much for coming on and chatting. Yeah, thank you. I- I very much enjoyed it. Hope we can do it again. 
Thank you so much for listening. Head on over to theunpluggedcreative.com to check out the show notes and link up with each week's creative. If you're digging this show, I would totally love it if you left me a five-star review on iTunes. That's going to help people learn about this show and probably help other creatives say yes to doing it who don't actually know me yet. Special thanks to James Granger for his original music. Keep on that creative path of yours. You never know where it might lead.